Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just What we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. Hey there, everybody. From KQED Public Radio, this is Political Breakdown. I'm Scott Schaefer. And I'm Marisa Lagos. And today on The Breakdown, we are firmly into the COVID-19 era now. And with California in an all-hands-on-deck mode in responding to the crisis, we're excited to be joined by the lieutenant governor of our state, Eleni Kunalakis. That's right. She is the very first woman to hold that position in California. We'll be talking with her soon about how the state is dealing with the crisis and a whole lot more. But first, Marisa, how are you dealing with this crisis? (laughs) Where are you anyway? I'm holding up. I am I am in my garage um, with my little studio. I think it's getting a little better by the day, but I, I have a – my whole setup now is I just leave my Ugg boots and this big sweater down here because no matter what temperature it is outside, I'm freezing. That's yeah. my biggest complaint. You know, it's interesting, though, just transitioning a little bit here, how politics has kind of been derailed. Yeah. Uh, you know, Joe Biden has sort of disappeared. Bernie Sanders, goodness knows where he is. Uh, you know, he's voting on the uh, aid package, I guess, in the Senate. But um, it, it, it's just so amazing that just a month ago uh, we had a, a totally different conversation. Yeah, I mean, it is remarkable. I was saying, you know, Super Tuesday was three days, three weeks and two days ago. And it feels like, I don't know, a lifetime. Um, the good news is, Scott, we had a whole year of this, that primary before. <laughs> that's right. So. At least a year. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, it is It is remarkable, and I do think, you know, I think that's going to change. I mean, already, I feel like in our own workflow, like last week was just all like, how is how is California responding to that virus? We are obviously still tracking that on the air almost every day with live updates from our governor, things like that. But we're also starting to think forward and doing reporting on things like, What's happening in the prison system? How are we going to run elections? Um, What's going to happen to the state budget? You know, all these questions that you and I and and our team, Guy and Katie, have all been really starting to think about and think about how we can, you know, both hold this government accountable when it comes to this virus, but also to the fact that, you know, the world can't entirely stop. Right. And it's interesting. Politicians always have to straddle this line. Whenever there's a crisis, you want to show leadership. You want to show that you're focused. But, you know, depending on where you are in the election, re-election cycle, you know, you have to be thinking about those things as well. And it was interesting. We were chatting uh, yesterday, I think, uh, you know, I and I think most Americans got in the mail this little postcard uh, from the CDC 
that was headlined, President Trump's Coronavirus Guidelines for America. And I, I was sort of blown away by that because that was obviously sent, uh, you know, at taxpayer expense. Uh, and a, a very, you might just say, depending on your point of view, very clever message from the president, very much aimed at reelection. Uh, but on the other hand, you know, was he politicizing this in a way that wasn't appropriate? Yeah, I mean, I think that's an open question. We've seen um, an attack. You know, I think his campaign arm and his White House is working very hard to try to mitigate any damage on this. We saw them file a cease and desist his campaign against um, an attack ad that only uses Trump's words um, around coronavirus. <laughs> but I, I do think, I mean, it's fascinating that they're doing that even as the president is messaging on an entirely different sort of plane, right? I, I have the same thought, Scott, when I was um, watching something on Amazon and they add that came on before was Dr. Anthony Fauci and other, you know, health officials on a national level really appealing to people to you know, keep these shelter in place or shelter at home orders in mind and to do as little outside the home as possible to to help others and so different than what we see from the president. Um, on the flip side of that, I think we have seen a very sort of cohesive response in California. And I think we see a lot of really similar messaging. I mean, we were joking among ourselves, like, when in history have we ever seen the entire Bay Area, all the counties come together and do something in lockstep like they did with that stay at home order? Yeah, that was um, extraordinary. And it really kind of, you know, kind of trickled up. You know, it was a, a few days later uh, that, uh, you know, Governor Newsom basically said, look, let's just do what the Bay Area is doing and let's just do it statewide. So we have totally. some consistency. Yeah. And, you know, in terms of the governor, I mean, I think you'd have to say uh, he has really, as he says, meet the, he's meeting the moment. You know, he's being very accessible. He's very focused, uh, doing these daily briefings, uh, answering questions via Facebook. Although I think there was a Facebook briefing where the people shouting questions were his own staff. <laughs> <laughs> we'll just, we can chalk that up to a technical glitch, you know, just to give well, him the Well, yeah. I mean, that. you know, I think, look, Newsom is, I think, I, I think objectively doing a good job as a leader. I think we're always going to want to be able to ask him more. I think we're always going to have more questions and rightfully so that's our job in the public and media. Um, but it has been really good. I think to see, um, you know, the state's been pretty transparent around trying to really um, collect data around not just how many tests come back positive for COVID-19, but how many come back negative, how many are pending. Um, we have seen him really talk a lot in great detail about the number of hospital beds we're expecting to need 50,000, he's saying, um, and how the state is attempting to get to add those beds to our system uh, in real time. And then, you know, I've been covering the prisons and how they're trying to mitigate that he announced there would not be new inmates sent to state prison or Department of Juvenile Justice facilities. Well, and he's really done a great job too of uh, kind of corralling the private sector, both on the testing front, uh, you know, wait, not waiting for the federal government, but uh, reaching out to people like Elon Musk uh, and uh, Tim Cook at Apple to, you know, really sort of get the things we need uh, in California, you know, before, while well, instead of just waiting for the federal government. All right, we're going to take a short break, and when we come back, we're going to talk to Lieutenant Governor Eleni Kunalakis. You're listening to Political Breakdown from KQED. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? Its history, its people, its unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out the Bay Curious book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on the Bay Curious podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. 
Right now, you can get the Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find the link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading! Hi there, I'm Randa Fattah from Throughline. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org podcast. And welcome back to Political Breakdown. I'm Scott Schaefer here with Marisa Lagos. And our guest today is Lieutenant Governor Eleni Kunalakis. She's the first woman elected to that position, taking office in January of 2019. And before that, she was President Obama's ambassador to Hungary. Eleni Kunalakis, welcome to The Breakdown. Where are you, by the way? Hello. Well, I am uh, working from home today, but our offices are still open. Uh, we've been rotating a skeleton crew through the, um, the office in the Capitol, um, but everyone is working hard and doing our part to meet the moment, as you just noted, the governor is, uh, is, uh, is so often saying. I've noticed President Trump <laughs> yeah. is using that phrase, too. It seems <laughs> like it's, it's trickling up. <laughs> well, it's quite a moment. There's no question about it that... Um, what we're experiencing in this country and the world is really unlike anything in modern times. And um, I, I think that it is a transformative moment and not just for government, not just for um, the economy, but for every single person who is doing their best to try to figure out what does this mean for myself, for my kids, for my family. Uh, it's really quite a moment indeed. Well, Lieutenant Governor, we'll get to some of your personal stuff, but I just want to ask, I mean, how is your family? Are you guys, everybody's coping okay so far? Well, I'll tell you, um, I had been speaking with some of the epidemiologists at the University of California. You know, I sit on the board of regents for the University of California, mm -hmm. and it just so happens that the new head of the hospital system for the UC is an epidemiologist. And we had these long conversations where I just called her to ask her, how does she see this two and a half weeks ago? And she was really adamant that it was going to get worse. Mm -hmm. And she was also really adamant that the social distancing piece was really important. So the, the first time I heard those words were from her a few weeks ago. So in my family, in our office, among our friends, um, we've been practicing it for a long time. Uh, so, so far... We don't have anyone immediately associated with our office um, or their families who have had any health issues associated with it, as far as we know. Lieutenant Governor, what's your role in all of this? I mean, you are the number two in state government, but I'm curious, um, historically, you know, that has been a position that has largely been left up to the individual to define. Are you taking a different role now because of this outbreak than you normally are? Um, and how are you just thinking about what you can offer to the governor and others in state government? Well, um, we're in a state of emergency in the state and the lieutenant governor, the role of the lieutenant governor, the reason that we have one um, under our state constitution is because 
you always need to have a backup plan in case of emergency. So one of the roles that I have and my team has is basically to stay as up to speed as possible um, to make sure that if there were an emergency with the governor, there would be uh, a transition plan. Now, we're certainly not expecting that, but we do have to prepare for it. And then within that, um, you know, the governor and I have known each other for a very long time. Um, I'm very proud. I've been one of his supporters since the early 2000s. Uh, and I voted for him for mayor of San Francisco and for lieutenant governor and for governor, of course. And um, so he asked me several months ago now, almost a year ago, uh, more than a year ago, to serve as his representative for international affairs. And so one of the areas that our team has had a constant flow of workload has been around some of the issues that relate directly to international affairs. Um, those are things from consular type work. Uh, we have four uh, California students um, who um, we have been helping with the process of getting them back from Peru. The Peruvian government has been very slow in letting Americans out. Um, so again, not something that people would ordinarily think of in the context, but it's work and that work has to get done. Um, as well as early on, um, my office helped with the repatriation of some of the crew members from the Grand Princess. Um, so again, it's, it's one of those things where as the governor lays out the major strategic goals, 50,000 beds, PPEs, ventilators, um, emergency economic relief, all of those things that he lays out, there are, again, just um, quite a few technical experts behind all that work working to get it done. I was just curious, Lieutenant Governor, I mean, you we're going to get to your personal stuff in a minute, but you your dad is from Greece. You've spent time overseas as an ambassador. Um, as I mentioned before, the lieutenant governor position is often looking at the economics of the state and how to help there. Um, besides the public health issue here, obviously, that is the, the number two kind of concern on people's mind. What are you seeing in terms of this state and its international trade and sort of what the what things look like um, compared to even just a few weeks ago? Well, I think that it's really clear that if anyone has the capacity to meet this moment, it is California. And the governor's leadership, I really, Marissa, by all accounts, it really is remarkable the way that as a manager, he's been able to organize his people, identify what we need in terms of our supplies and our, our beds and uh, even going so far as to negotiate with with multinational banks so that Californians will have 90-day deferrals on most of our mortgages. I mean, these, these are... Uh, things that it's a combination, I think, of both having a leader uh, like Governor Newsom, but also leading a state that is a nation state and is the fifth largest economy in the world. Um, so our ability to respond to this crisis, it, it, it just, by definition, it is beyond what many other states will have, I think, in terms of tools to to address it. Uh, now, what most of us are really focused on is making sure that it's enough. And, and that's really um, where a lot of the questions are. Is 50,000 beds enough? Can we get all the way to 50,000? I mean, I think listening to the breakdown, um, it sounds like we have 
maybe 35,000 beds secured, what happens um, to the rest? How do we how do we get more? If we get 50,000 beds, how do we make sure that we have all those, you know, N95 masks, surgical masks, gloves, uh, 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 robes, all of, all of the things that we need, and of course ventilators, because we know from what we've seen in Italy and in Wuhan and in Korea that ventilators are key to the survival of people who. Um, who are experiencing the worst impacts of COVID-19. There's so many so moving parts. in it's terms really... of California's ability, I think that we are ahead of the rest. In terms of our ability to make sure that we have everything we need, that's what people are still working so hard to do. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Political Breakdown. Our guest is Lieutenant Governor Eleni Kunalakis. I'm here with Marisa Lagos. And Lieutenant Governor, I want to ask you a little bit about uh, growing up. You grew up in rural Sacramento mm-hmm. County. I think you've called yourself a farm girl. Um, what was like? What was life like as a kid for you? Well, like so many Californians, um, I'm the daughter of an immigrant. You know, 50% of Californians have at least one parent who's an immigrant. 27% of Californians is for, are foreign-born. Uh, that compares to a national average of about uh, 14%. So we are um, a very diverse state, and I'm very proud to be part of that diversity. My family's Greek-American, and um, I grew up in Sacramento. My father um, came when he was just a, a boy. I mean, he was 14 years old when he left home, came to the United States, no money, no English, working in the fields outside of Lodi as a farm worker. But he was one of those just very scrappy, very ambitious um, kids. And he made his way to Sacramento, went to Sacramento State, didn't quite graduate, but got a great education there, uh, started a business. I grew up uh, out in what was then a very rural part of Sacramento County. Uh, we had our own um, uh, our own well and septic tank, uh, and as far as the eye could see was just farmland. Uh, and I was the first in my family to go to a four-year college and graduate, um, came home uh, after business school, and uh, joined um, my father in our family business. And I loved it. We did, um, we built master plan communities for the Sacramento region. And so um, my business background is in housing, uh, which, you know, oddly enough, for people who are thinking about having a life in politics, come back then coming out of housing, being a developer was something that there was, it was so tainted um, before people really understood the important work of those who produce housing for our state. Um, and so for me, knowing that I wanted to be in public service, uh, it really was my husband's idea. He said, look, you know, I know you, you think you wanna run for office, but you can also just go get a job in government. And so that's really why uh, I pivoted and ended up joining the Obama administration and serving as a US ambassador. But it's also why um, after 2016, when the, uh, uh, completely unexpected election of Donald Trump, um, it took me a few weeks, but finally I came around to the realization that it's something that I always um, felt inspired to do, to stand up and run. And all of those concerns that I'd once had, the fear of losing or or um, 
you know, self-doubt, it all just sort of melted away. Uh, and I put together uh, an unlikely campaign and, as you noted, became the first woman ever elected mm-hmm. lieutenant governor in California. Yeah, um, you know, you talked a little bit about your dad there. He has a really remarkable personal story, including um, that his house in Greece was essentially taken over by German sh- soldiers, I believe, mm-hmm. um, during World War Two. And, and his family was living sort of under this martial law. I, you know, this this is not martial law that we're living under, but I know you've worked so closely with your dad over the years. He's obviously been a big supporter of your um, your political campaign. What kind of advice are you getting from him in this strange moment? And, and, and more broadly, I mean, are you do you often go to him to bounce stuff off of him still after you guys work together so closely for so long? So, Marissa, you really hit on something because in my family growing up, I was always very aware that there are different kinds of governmental systems. There are uh, autocracies, there are military juntas, uh, and there are democracies, if you're lucky. And so growing up in California, he uh, was very determined to take every opportunity to teach us kids that our ability to engage in our own governance through a democratic system was the greatest gift that anyone can have. Um, back when he was growing up in Greece, whether it was during the war uh, or the the Second World War and the German occupation of his village, uh, or uh, it was the Greek Civil War, or frankly, even after, you know, it took... Greece is the world's oldest democracy, or first democracy. But um, when he grew up, there was no place for a kid from the village to be, to get elected, to be part of, of the uh, government and the determination of the laws of the land. There was no opportunity for that. And what he understood very quickly, actually, he told me um, the profound impact of Cesar Chavez on his life, that he couldn't believe that some, you know, activist named Cesar Chavez could force uh, farmers to give better working conditions to their people, and that activism and organizing would change the rules and the law of the land and the governance structure. So. Uh, that has been very much a thread of my life. Um, when I served in Hungary, a big part of my job in Hungary was to advocate for uh, the the structures and the principles of American democracy during a time when their prime minister was working to um, undermine some of the elements of democracy that had been established in Hungary after the fall of the wall um, in the uh, late 80s, early 90s. And so this has been something that um, I I really, uh, uh, the place where I come from, which is how do you strengthen democracy and ensure that it continues to be what in American democracy, it's been intended, which is self-government. People elect our leaders and through this system are able to ensure that um, individual members of our society are protected 
and are able to practice self-determination. While you were ambassador to Hungary, as you said, obviously there were some civil liberties uh, being curtailed. A lot was going on that uh, was in, you know, I would say disagreement with U.S. policy, certainly. So while you're there as an ambassador, how free did you feel to express concerns about, say, human rights or LGBT rights, something like that? So, you know, Scott, I came home and I and I really felt that the story of what had happened in Hungary from 2010 to 2013 really needed to be told. So I wrote uh, a book about it, and it's called Madam Ambassador, Three Years of Diplomacy, Dinner Parties, and Democracy in Budapest. And my publisher wanted me to put you know, dinner parties in the title, and she wanted me to um, have elements of it that are sort of lighthearted, because she said, look, the story of of democracy in Hungary during this time is not necessarily something that's going to sell books. Well, little did we know at that time that there would be this crisis in the world around, around democracies and this rise of nationalism and this rise of the strong man. Um, but the example in Hungary is very much a case study. So my book uh, has been translated into Hungarian. It was at the top of the bestseller list there. And it's a case study that, um, again, is, uh, has been very much informed the way that I look at uh, my work here in California. Yeah. Lieutenant Governor, I'm curious. We only have a couple of minutes left. But, you know, you, um, Orban is still in power in Hungary today. Um, and we have seen on the left a lot of sort of concern about whether our own president has authoritarian tendencies or is trying to sort of tear down some of those institutions that you just talked about. I, I just wonder if you see any parallels or if you think that some of those critiques are overblown. Well, of course there are parallels, and and it's easy to see them because the building blocks of democracy are are fairly simple, the ones that I that I just outlined, and um, there has been what I call the autocrats playbook that's been um, evolving now, and Breitbart News very much um, knows that playbook inside and out, and there's no question in my mind. Um, that Donald Trump recognizes that uh, there are certain things he can do to make people afraid and, and to consolidate power around it. But what I will also say is that what he's up against is the world's oldest and most successful democracy. That is what we are as the United States of America. And so if you were to kind of zoom in on this moment of the response to COVID-19, I, I will tell you the brightest spot is the fact that governors across the country are able to be nimble and have the tools that they need. And frankly, I think that the aid package uh, that Congress, that Nancy Pelosi, you know, really had such an important hand in shaping is going to empower individuals to help support the economic health of individuals and their families, empower local governments, empower small businesses, and empower state governments. You know, I was on a call, um, a White House briefing call yesterday, and they've made it very clear that states in some ways are on their own to be able to go out and meet this moment and procure what they need and set up their systems, you know, on a state level and a local level to to address the challenges. 
I actually think that this is a good thing for our democracy because when you have a place like California, the last thing we want is to have to sit and wait for the government to act for us when we have so much capacity in Sacramento and our local governments to be able again, to meet this moment. Lieutenant Governor, before we let you go, I do want to ask you about your husband. Uh, You're married to a former print journalist who's also Greek-American, Marcos Kunalakis. Uh, And uh, if we read this correctly, you got married, I think, eight weeks after you met. Uh, So (laughs) you can you can allude to that if you want. But I'm just curious, you know, as a former journalist, I mean, is this a is it hard for him to be on the sidelines and not reporting on what is probably going to be this one of the certainly one of the stories of our lifetimes? So, um, look, I have a great partner in the second partner. Um, He has been all in in public service and in supporting my public service. Uh, He certainly went through a a period when we first got to Hungary where it was very frustrating because, in a way, he kind of was muzzled when we first first got to Budapest. Uh, But he found um, a, a great... Uh, alternative. He went and got his PhD when we were in Budapest. You may have heard about the university that was founded by George Soros that actually actually, um, since then has had to move to Vienna because Orban did everything possible to shut it down, though he won't admit it, but obviously that's what happened. Uh, And now for the last six years, he's been a visiting fellow at Stanford at the Hoover Institute. He still writes. He has a column for McClatchy um, that appears weekly. Uh, It is almost always in the print version of the Miami Herald. And he's an expert on foreign policy and an analyst on foreign policy. So he has his voice. He definitely is careful not to wade into topics that might um, pose some, you know, a, a conflict with my work. Are you his uh, editor it's a big now? World, and yeah. there's a lot for him to write about. And uh, I'm really grateful to have a, a second partner like Marcos Kunalakis. That's for sure. So marrying him after eight weeks was one of the best moves I ever made. <laughs> okay, <laughs> well, good. good. We're glad to hear that. <laughs> All right, Lieutenant Governor Eleni Kunalakis, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, and stay safe. And uh, our best to you and your family. Thank you, Scott. And thank you, Marissa. Great to be on your show. And that does it for this edition of Political Breakdown. It's a production of KQED Public Radio. Our producer is Guy Marzarati. Our engineer is Katie McMurrin. KQED's team includes Holly Kernan, Ethan Lindsay, Vinny Tong, Jonathan Blakely, and Julie Kane. I'm Marisa Lagos, coming at you from my garage. You can follow me on Twitter. I'm at MLagos. And I'm Scott Schaefer, coming at you from my spare bedroom. You can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Scott Schaefer. We'll see you next time, everybody. Stay healthy. I'm Sasha Coca, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse Golden State. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey. That's where you go to Sunshine State. But we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts.
Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast.